Welcome everybody. My name is Anna-Kaisa Kultima and this is Games Now podcast. Games Now is an open lecture series run by Aalto University and we are welcoming everyone to join our learning community. In our lecture series we have covered topics from different areas of games, design, technology, business, user cultures and all in between to immerse ourselves into learning and sharing about current topics in playful media. Our open lecture series has been inviting various experts in games around the globe to share their insights on what is important to them right now. This podcast is now looking back on those topics. Looking back. So on the Looking Back series of Games Now podcast, we are revisiting some of our lectures and reflecting with the speakers what has happened between now and then. On the third episode of Looking Back Games Now podcast, we go back to the topic of VR and games. In 2014, game developer Samuel Jaskelainen was with us lecturing on the current status of VR headsets and the soon-to-be-published game Pollen. Samuli is well known for his impact to Game Jam community here in Finland. He has made more than 100 video games, and many of his game projects are experiments with obsolete gaming technologies. Samuli has worked within Finnish VR industry since its beginning, and especially in the first large VR game production in Finland at Mindfield Games. He also helped in founding of the Finnish Virtual Reality Association and is now pushing the boundaries of XR technologies at Varjo. Let's check what Samuli had to say about VR and games in 2014 and now in 2022. Welcome, Samuli, back to games now. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm, I'm doing super. <laughs> super well. How has the pandemic been for you? Uh, a lot of time spent at home with various different kind of crazy projects. <laughs> That sounds absolutely marvelous and great way of spending the isolation time. So you were with us eight years ago. That's a long time. So what are you actually working right now? What is the project that you're currently busy with? So in the work life, I'm I'm very busy with Varjo, pushing the mixed reality technologies forward in the world. And that is very interesting daily job where we are pushing pushing the boundaries of what is possible in terms of mixing the real and the virtual. Uh, maybe there are listeners that don't know what Varjo is, so maybe a small recap on what, what that device is all about. Yes, so Varjo is a, is a Finnish VR headset company where we do uh, what we call XR headsets, as they do both VR and MR, virtual reality and mixed reality. And these devices are basically the highest end uh, XR devices that you can buy in the market at the moment. And they are used, for example, when you are training pilots to fly airplanes as the resolution is a lot clearer than anything that you can buy off the shelf as a consumer. And how long have you been working with Vario actually now? I've been working almost since the beginning of the company so it's like five plus years and it's been a wild ride from uh, early prototypes and setting up production lines to like scaling up and like rolling out amazing demos and 
slowly seeing the world recognize our headset. Oh, that, that sounds so exciting. We're going to come back to that topic at the end of the podcast. But how about your non-work life, as you kind of uh, referred to? You do a lot of experimental game design, for instance. Yes. So uh, while at Vario, I, I work with the future. Uh, on my own time, I, I like to do like a total 180 and work with the past. So my most recent projects have been with uh, oscilloscopes from the 70s and 80s. And I've been making... Uh, plugins for 3D engines that translate the 3D vector data to an audio signal that can be then displayed in oscilloscopes. And the oldest device I've now run my games on is from uh, Soviet uh, Russia, so that's like more than 100 years old device. Oh wow, that's that's uh, beyond our lifetime, of course. So. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty old. So you kind of. You get to be the old engineer that potentially thought about games in their devices. Do you think that they did think about games? They must have thought about games, but what I'm doing now is a little bit different as I'm combining this oscilloscope with the modern processing power of a modern PC. So I can actually display images that they could have even even dreamt of displaying back in the day. All right. Um, so your title of the talk was Reality Check, if I remember correctly. And yeah, it was 2014. So a lot has happened, I guess, for the VR game development and VR field in between these years. Not just the pandemic, but a lot of other years too. Yes, there's been like almost a couple of different generations of devices since. Yeah, that's eight years. And uh, in kind of, I, I think that in games thinking, that would be one generation of a game console. So, yeah, or, um, yeah, or even more than more than one. Yeah, yeah. So, what is like in your uh, general observations? What has been the biggest change between then and now with VR? Uh, I think the biggest change has been that we've reached price points where everyone can afford these kind of headsets and play play with them. Uh, and then we've also reached a point where there's been a lot more devices taken into use in places where they were still using traditional monitors back in 2014. Yeah, okay. Is is there like uh, more games also now? Is there like, what? how is the field? Is it more about games or utility programs at the moment? So the big money is currently in the business to business and utility stuff, but the game side has been slowly growing and there is larger uh, player base than ever. So for example, if you look statistic at Steam, there are more VR users than Linux users that use Steam. Okay, okay fair, fair enough. <laughs> I, I haven't been talking too much about Linux games recently, so I don't know. Yeah, so but you would say like like it's 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 bigger than the niche of Linux gaming, right? All right, <laughs> at least on PC. Right. So this is a perfect time to actually go back to and and check the the clip that uh, from your lecture that what you were saying in 2014. Okay, so what can we do with VR currently? What kind of applications we have? So what can you do with VR to get money? That's what all of you want, working on a really fun field, doing fun stuff. The oldest user of VR has been, of course, military. And there's been a lot of military training with virtual reality headsets already, and has been throughout the years. 
And there was the Norway army actually started using Oculus Rift DK1s as a tank controllers last year. So they in implemented cameras outside the tank, so you can look out outside the tank through the goggles. And of course, there is the other side of the army that I briefly already talked about was uh, post-traumatic post dis stress disorders and other stuff. So when you go to the battlefield, you have a VR training. When you get out of the battlefield, you get the VR treatment. So your mind won't blow up because of all the traumas you have. This is also from America. There is a really interesting documentary about uh, how to use VR as a military treatment help for the veterans. You can Google it from the YouTube. Then you can use it as a practical tool for training. For example, surgeons. This might not be the best application for it, but there's been a lot of applications for the uh, fields to do that. And then, of course, educational purposes. So you can get stuff that you can't really like understand otherwise. For example, this is from demo called, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it has planets. So you can actually see the scale of the planets by yourself, which is something that it's really hard to like explain to someone who is studying the scales of the planets. But when you fly into space and actually by yourself experience this, the scale of the planets, it's crazy. And it's really effective. You can remember it way easier. And then there is this uh, other more active kind of uh, teaching tools. So this is, for example, this kind of tool where you have the leap motion, your hand, and a skeleton with organs and everything. And you can just pick it by piece, by piece, and take it apart, X-mine every piece from all the angles. And then you can actually go inside blood cells and stuff and see what, what it looks like there. So for example, inside heart. This is still under development and public, but it's really cool demo. And then tourism. We can go to places where it's really hard to go, or we can go to places where kids just can't go without virtual reality. And this will be a, a bigger field that you might think, because currently, in Japan, there is a lot of virtual tourism uh, studies done because the age is populating so fast and the old people need to have something to do. So virtual reality is actually one of the better things for those two because they can go to places, they can travel around, they can see and experience new things. But with tourism, it's something that is familiar enough for older folks that can't really use controllers or anything to experience that kind of thing through. And there's done a lot of 3D scanning also from the real environments. And one thing that I'm currently using a lot is virtual desktop. So when I'm using my computer, I'm not using a traditional monitor. I just slam a DK2 onto my head, and I have this infinite resolution monitor on my windows. And I have a largest TV of this room because of that. I can just scale it just the way I want. The resolution of the device is a bit troubling, but it's currently good enough that I can do game development with Oculus Rift on my head. I can do programming, I can do art, 
I can do all kinds of social media stuff and Twittering at the same time. But what I really have found that is really useful when you are working on a virtual reality, that it's less distracting. Because it's really hard for us to focus on one thing nowadays. You have so many things all the time going around. But with this, you are actually inside your computer, so you don't have any outside distractions. So my roommate is just always, okay, Samuel, you are somewhere else, I don't care. And then, even within the desktop, because you can get everything so close and so big that you want to use them that way, you are usually using just one application at a time. And I'm way more productive in virtual reality than I'm with normal monitor, when I'm not struggling to find right keys from the keyboard. And then, another big application, this is from Janus VR, which is currently internet of virtual reality. Everyone can make their own rooms, which are websites, and you can meet all the other people inside those rooms, and you can customize your character with happy, smiley faces. And this is, I'm not sure that this Janus VR will be the big one, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be, but that might be, this might be one of the reasons why Facebook acquired Oculus. So, we might be in kind of this kind of new kind of internet at some point. It's usually called metaverse. And of course, games. That's what was the first ignition for the VR on the hacker side. Everyone wanted to do VR games. And now most of the content creators are actually making games. And I'm also uh, making games. But it's interesting to uh, think about all the other fields because it's easier to get money from all the other fields. It's harder to get money from games. But it's much more fun to do games, so I try to make as much games as I can. So yeah, you probably kind of can guess why I picked uh, <laughs> specifically this, <Yes. laughs> this clip. But um, are, you, are you still, are these tips from the lecture of 2014, you know, these kind of uh, categories of where to make the money, is it still valid or has that, has that changed? That has not changed as much as you might think. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's been more opportunities now because they have been taken more in the widely use in, in other kind of training and simulation segments that I was talking there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so the, that sector has grown and, and matured. Perhaps. Yes, and okay. of course the game sector is nowadays... There are companies that are completely independent and profitable just doing VR games. So yeah. that's, that's a possibility that wasn't possible back in the day. Why it wasn't possible back in the day, in 2014? Uh, there was no consumer devices in 2014, so that was the <laughs> first hurdle, so no one could buy the devices. Yeah, but I, then uh, yeah. if we talk about the first wave of consumer devices, they were expensive, they required yeah. powerful PCs, they were very... Um, nice amazing pieces of hardware but even the best games sold so little that they could only uh, keep lights on for small indie studios and not for bigger proje pro uh, projects and now there is a little bit more money to do bigger projects and there's been more uh, platforms like Oculus uh, mm. who is actually funding uh, many studios to do this kind of like a larger game projects as a publisher or yeah as, okay. a, as, a, as a publisher or in the same way as playstation is mm. like sony is uh, getting exclusive playstation games oculus is 
hunting down studios to make exclusive Oculus games for them. I think that in the lecture you actually you were referring that the the queues to get the Oculus uh, devices were like two months away or something like that. That was really on the verge of getting to the point where consumers had their devices at their hands. And there were like also long queues, actual physical queues in all the fairs where they were showing the VR headsets. So that was really the time of... Yes, and that actually hasn't changed that much. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, for me, because mm. now I'm working at Vario, where we are yeah. making the highest end devices in the world. So we still have a long queues, but that's just because everyone is curious what does our device look like because everyone is raving that it's looking uh, better than anyone else. So I'm being lucky to be able to waving this kind of like uh, high-end uh, VR wave all of my career and see it from the both sides, from the developer side and from the hardware development side. Right, software and hardware. Um, talk us a little bit through from like from the 2014 to 2022, how many different devices or device generations, like a little bit of for someone uh, as kind of a newbie or uh, not so much following the VR scene, like what has actually happened in these eight years? Yeah, I think that, of course, the first major thing was when Oculus was launching their the first headset and then uh, HTC Vive came mm. out in a collaboration with Valve. And those were like the first big commercial headsets. Uh, after that, they or almost simultaneously, uh, but like uh, it's a briefly after that that uh, came a lot of these smartphone VR devices. Mm. Uh, cardboard was, I think, the best best of those because cardboard, Google's. yeah, Google yeah. cardboard, because that one was super cheap. And expectation of slapping some cardboard in your mm. head is not much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then they tried to put some higher-end mobile uh, VR headsets back in the day, and then when you pay, pay 100 euros for that, your expectations are higher. Yeah, and that didn't really uh, go through very well. Uh, after that, this game, this kind of like a standalone generation uh, that is going together with now PC VR, so we are basically split into two paths. So there are companies like Pico and Meta who are making completely standalone headsets yeah. uh, that alternative can also be plugged into pc and the, mm. being taken into the full power of pc and then there are the pc vr headsets like valve index or our vario headset uh, that uh, requires the connection to pc and it can render a lot more uh, cleaner and uh, heavier Im imaginary that way so in your lecture, you were talking about the resolution uh, issues, for instance. So are those now solved in the consumer device level? Like I know that Vario is not really affordable for families to buy, but how is it in the kind of the consumer devices compared to eight years ago? If, are we if, out of it now? Yeah, if we are talking about just gaming, like mm -hmm. if you play Beat Saber or want to hang, hang around with your friends in, in VR chat, those kind of things... They do it quite well. Mm -hmm. But then when you want to try to uh, read text on a virtual monitor, as I was talking there, it's still uh, not that sharp yeah. or easy to read. Or if you are trying to learn how to fly an airplane, mm -hmm. <laughs> you usually don't see the all the meters, which is a little bit difficult. Yeah. So we are not that far from the kind of thinking of these metaverses, I guess, <laughs> of, of people... 
really utilizing the, the, the devices for hanging out together with their friends. Yeah, especially during pandemic, mm. the, the biggest current, is, you could call it the metaverse. I Basically, nowadays, it's better to just call it an MMO. <laughs> like like a second life as an MMO or a World of Warcraft as an MMO where people sometimes just were hanging around instead of playing. Yeah, going so, back to basics. Yeah, yeah. so VR, VR chat is just one mm. of that kind of social hanging around platform where people, uh, like exactly actually like in the video when I was talking about channels VR, it's it's kind of like the same thing, but uh, VR chat in the end was the, was the, who is the currently uh, the victory in this race, uh, victory in this race, as they have the most users, and then during pandemic, especially, there's been like a sharp increase in users because that was a way to like hang around with your friends. Hmm. And I, for example, during pandemic, went to like some conventions in in VR chat and like met up with some friends. And I know people now who uh, actually live by making 3D model commissions to people in, in VR chat. So basically mm. someone is someone wants a certain kind of avatar for them. So there is a community of people who are making those avatars for people for money. Hmm. <laughs> so let's cater for the skeptics of the VR. I guess there's a lot of uh, those uh, too. Um, what are the current problems with the consumer devices or any VR devices? Are we still struggling with, for instance, nauseousness or... Is that battled or is there like new problems or like in different levels, business or technology or design? Like what would be yeah, from no, your perspective? Nosusness, I'll, I'll tackle that mm. uh, separately as first. That's been yeah. basically as was already solved for the first iteration of, of VR headsets yeah. as far as it can be solved with the current technology. Yeah. So it is more about uh, designing or design of the software than the hardware. Right. So if you are getting ill, uh, don't blame the hardware, blame the software at the moment. Yeah. Uh, of course, there are still like some outlier people who, who can't, just can't use headsets at all, but those are very few and apart. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the second part of that question was... Uh, can you repeat? <laughs> <laughs> second part is that are there other like business or technological problems? What are the current yes. challenges so, in this technology? So the current challenge... I think is that we've been now using VR for a long time, hmm. but VR is really isolating. So people want to use some kind of mixed reality features in the headset so that they even get a black and white uh, low resolution feed of real life or anything. So just when you need to grab something from the table or hmm. get get a, get a drink from a kitchen uh, or, or something or just discuss with the with the friend so yeah, yeah not yeah, to smash at, your yeah, tv at, at, at Varjo, often we actually might wear vr headsets in the head like the xr headsets in our head and just look at each other and talk because we can see each other of course yeah. it's a little bit weird you don't see the eyes <laughs> of the person but it's 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 something that uh, is now doable with the yeah. technology that is up and, up and coming for consumers as well so i think that is the next big hurdle is this like transition from full vr to content that can be mixed with the uh, with the real world, it, like what is the major reason? The isolation you mentioned, but is is it also like safety and those kind of issues that you Ye- actually mentioned in your lecture? Ye- yes, and like imagine using a headset in a train. Mm-hmm. You you want to be able to check your luggage as, as well from yeah, time yeah, to yeah. time. Yeah. Different kinds of safeties. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then for the kind of higher end of the devices, where does actually 
var you belong to? Is it for um, like training places or for the industry or where, where, where does this kind of higher end devices then belong to? So higher end devices are exactly that way you're saying it's training and simulation and design and architecture and CAD drawing and all, all these kind of like processes where it's cheaper to look at virtual things than build them in the physical world. So it kind of takes away the need of the prototyping or what is the actual kind of, because I, I don't necessarily understand all the industrial yeah, it's, <laughs> the it's, design it's, processes, but yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it's It depends on the company, so I yeah. cannot generalize, but yeah. I can, for example, tell you that uh, what you have seen, for example, are these dome projectors in observatories, for example, in Heureka in Finland. Yeah. So imagine you have a flight simulator that's using this kind of enormous dome room to yeah. do the rendering of the sky, and then you have a physical plane where you are sitting at. Yeah. You can just replace all of that with virtual and maybe put some real-world buttons and combine that with the mixed reality so you get the haptic feedback of the of the plane so you don't do negative training of right. pressing fully virtual buttons. But right. you can basically make a setup that used to be a one room yeah. to be something that's portable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like so many different things that takes the hurdle of uh, making physical objects into just the hurdle of making virtual objects. Yeah, I guess, and yeah. we uh, going back to Finland, there's one like public use case at Vario that I can discuss. We have a, have a blog post about that in our website as well. There is a Finnish company that does this framery boots, mm. uh, which are basically conferencing boots or uh, solo working boots for, for companies. And yeah. they have taken now our headsets to be used in the design process so they can mm. sit in the virtual uh, boot and check the distances with their hands where they can reach. Right. So yeah. they don't need to order as many prototyping parts because it always takes a week for a part to arrive and then, yeah. then you are like, oh, this was one centimeter too big. We need yeah. the second part. <laughs> and yeah. it's uh, another week of waiting. <laughs> yeah. you, you can maybe... Maybe sometimes people could think that, well, you could just calculate that how long is an arm, but it's a really, really kind of useful, like shorthand to just to be able to be a body in a space and as a designer to realize what happens. Yes. And what I discussed even like in the back in the day was the scale about the planets. Mm. Uh, you don't really feel the scale if you don't have a VR headset on because yeah. you don't have the stereoscopic field of the, of the view, even if you are spinning the cat model in the 2D display. Yeah. So maybe going back to the games, right? Um, what is happening currently with VR games or maybe mixed reality games? So what kind of things you could lift as uh, examples that are exciting for you? I think uh, for everyone, when Half-Life Alyx came mm. a couple of years ago, that was the basically the exciting moment because it was the highest budget, highest, highest effort VR game that has ever been done. And it is amazing. So okay. it was worth the wait for for everyone uh, now i think we are living in this kind of like a shadow of half-life alex because it was so amazing that you can't reach the same heights with other games as ah, easily expectations, <laughs> expectations have, changed. have changed a little bit <laughs> uh, but of course no one has the endless bit of money that valve has yeah so you cannot compete directly with with them so it's more now about finding ways of like navigating the current current environment and expectations Uh, one thing that is super recent uh, in the gaming world is that there was 
this kind of like a hacking group that found a way to convert most of Unreal 4 games to be VR compatible. So there is now coming a lot more VR mods for traditional 2D games and that has been something that's been ongoing all the time. Mm. So I, for example, have played a lot of uh, PSP or GameCube games in, in VR Oh. Because many of those older games they run well and they they actually still look quite nice nice with 3D 3D depth and, and all the, all the head tracking and everything. So not every VR game needs to be experienced where you are standing and waving around controllers. Right. So basically, maybe not necessarily have to be like exclusively VR, but there is this kind of a trend of multi-platform also for VR experiences, right? Not really. Like if, no. if for okay. people who are making VR games, they usually then make them very exclusive for VR because then you usually want to take the full advantage of the platform, which is the motion motion controllers and the presence and the feeling of being being in there. Okay. So uh, it's more about that. There's a lot of lot of like hacking going around to like being able to enable those kind of things for for other games as well as there is hasn't been as many like big releases. Right, so we're still waiting for more of those experiences to come in. How is the market? Uh, have Have you looked at it? Like how how profitable it is to actually make a VR game? Is the device uh, spread in the consumers enough at the moment, or how does that look like? If you are like a solo developer or a small company, like five people, uh, I can see space for there, and I can see it being maybe even being easier than just releasing a game into Steam or especially releasing a game into Android or <laughs> Apple Store mm. because there is like a thirst for new content. Right. But it's important that you need to understand the current landscape and the gamers so you cannot really jump there as a, as a total newcomer and try to start making name for yourself if you don't fully understand what came before you and take learnings from those that you are not repeating the same mistakes. Uh, that has happened to many like traditional uh, big publishers when they came to VR, is that their VR game design was a little bit outdated when their mm. ga- games came out, because the design language of VR games is moving so fast. Okay, very interesting. So what are the basic mistakes that would be like the most important at the moment to avoid? I think that you are... In your 2014 lecture, you actually list a lot of tricks for design. What would be the major changes right now? What kind of what to look for? There's probably a lot of sources to look the kind of older mistakes, but what are the current ones that would be very important to look at? I think it's it's like a mixture of same old things like performance, performance, performance. Your game needs to needs to run smoothly because otherwise mm. people people don't feel well, and then there is uh, options so people uh, have different preferences how they want to explore and enjoy vr and those preferences uh, should be catered to so even even valve who was very vocal against uh, smooth movement and they were always saying just use teleport just use teleport they released uh, half-life alex with smooth movement as an option because there was there would have been too much complaining. 
Right. So there's a certain kind of culture and expectations of the users that you need to know the community, so to speak. Yeah, and know the know the options. So in right. the same way that in the PC games uh, or console games, when you go to options, there might be like difficulty settings and rebinding of controls. Uh, in VR, certain set of settings is is very much expected, and if it's missing from them there you are losing a lot of players who mm. will just skip your game because there is no their preferred way of uh, navigating VR environments in the in the list of options. Right, okay. So how about Vario? Is that ever going to be like a gamer's device? So like, what is the direction for, for Vario's headsets? So, so our company is first and foremost, we try to make the best XR headsets available in the world. Mm. Uh, but of course, we've had some uh, requests from from <laughs> like uh, to get some lower end devices, and we actually uh, released a, a model called Vario Aero, huh. which is a stripped down version of our headset. It doesn't have any pass through XR mixed reality capabilities, but it still has our extremely clear optics and uh, higher resolution than any other other headset in the planet. So you can. Uh, buy those as a, as a consumer and it's actually now available even in GameStop in, in, in US. Oh, wow. So it, it's not really a mainstream device, it costs 2000 euros, yeah. but it's basically for people who already have graphics cards that cost 2000 euros yeah. or simulation setup that cost more than 2000 euros yeah. at home. So uh, that's our target audience and they've been very happy with the device. Right, that uh, sounds perfect. I, I want to try it too. I guess I will have a chance at some point, I hope. Um, but yeah, so how how is the kind of a game selection for that device? Is, is there a need for a specific development of those games? Are they utilizing the same content that uh, is already out there? That's actually a very, very interesting question because the whole... This from 2014 to... Today, there has been a huge lack of common standards in right. VR. Right. And that's why, for example, with our headset, we have basically three different ways of uh, using and rendering content into the headset. We have way of natively using our SDKs. And that's what every headset uh, in the world usually has. They have some kind of native SDK just for their device. Yeah. Uh, then there is this old format that was made by Valve called OpenVR. And that's what majority of the Steam games are using. Yeah. So what we did, we made our uh, own driver for our headset. So it's compatible with the OpenVR games. Uh, you are not getting full feature set of our headset when you are using the Mixed Reality XR3 headset. But for Aero consumer headset for rendering games, uh, the compatibility is almost one-to-one. Okay. Uh, so you can indeed play Half-Life Alyx and all the all the other amazing games available in Steam uh, using 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 our headset. And then there is the third standard, uh, which is OpenXR, and this is led by Chronos Group. So uh, the same guys who are doing OpenGL and Vulkan, and this is the future. And we are pushing it. Meta is pushing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like all the all the other big companies are pushing it because that's gonna be standardized way of rendering things into the headsets and we've started now seeing uh, adaption for that. So one good example is there was this one of the highest profile uh, VR capable games was Microsoft Flight Sim 2020. Hmm. 
And that it is... sounds really bad name though, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was the year, the year they came out with the game. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. so they uh, have open XR. Okay. Uh, capabilities and now many games that are still alive that have made first open VR implementations back in the day are transitioning into open XR right because that's gonna be the uh, uh, new standard that is cross-platform compatible uh, in our case open XR is amazing and we are supporting 100% it but like with any uh, community or like this kind of like it's not really community driven but like a committee driven uh, thing, uh, the changes are a little bit slow. Mm. So when you are using OpenXR, at the moment you cannot yet use all the features of our headset because they are not implemented in the spec. Right. But once they are in the spec, some of those features will be cross-compatible then with other devices as well. So yeah. it is worth the wait uh, to get everything standardized because everyone wins in the end. Yeah, so maybe I can buy someone else's uh, Vario headset at some point then <laughs> to experience all the good stuff. Um, so that's one of the future things that you're also looking at, but is there is there some other trends or phenomena that you're following uh, in the horizon as, for us in the near future? There's a couple of, couple of things that I haven't touched yet uh, that are up and coming. Um, I think first one I'll start with the one that I'm more excited about, which is all kind of tracking features from the real world. So in our headset we have eye tracking, but mm. there is peripherals uh, now that can do face tracking and full body tracking. And that kind of full body presence in VR is actually super great, especially with social experiences, because then you can have... Uh, also legs. Uh, yeah, you can you can also have legs, but you can have have so much more, more more than legs legs yeah. there, and it's 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 more natural to then yeah. discuss with digital avatars when they when they can emote uh, with the more easier ways. You currently can emote with them, but it's usually predetermined yeah. uh, facial expression expressions that you need to trigger yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. from from button presses, which is not as, as natural no, no, <laughs> for no, us humans yeah. that have been used to used to smiling for generations. <laughs> that is that is true, yeah. So that's one that you personally are excited about. But yeah, and the another one that is big uh, and is coming coming strong is uh, all kind of cloud services. Mm. So we are slowly starting to compute things more in the cloud and locally, and that might be a good way of getting this like higher performance uh, and higher fidelity content to headsets that locally don't doesn't have that much processing power. And it's also one way of like making the devices smaller and useless battery. Right. And that's it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have I we haven't touched upon at all of pollen on Mildfield games, but I'm gonna ask this one simple question is that uh, looking back to that and if you would do uh, pollen now, do you think that that would be kind of gaining better audience or is there some other kind of uh, things that you think that the the game should have done better, or was it just a timing? Uh, for, it for it wasn't just a timing. Of course, timing is part of it, but I think the biggest challenge with Poland that was we were developing a game for constantly evolving target. Mm. So first we were doing it for Oculus DK one, then Oculus DK two, then Vive, then Oculus CV one. Uh, so you, we weren't able to. Uh, 
plan as much ahead because we didn't know what will be the final form of the headsets that consumers are getting. Yeah. And we basically got that wrong early in the development that caused a lot of troubles in further in the development. Yeah. So now if we you would be doing some similar kind of game, you wouldn't be having this kind of like evolving SDK and hardware issue as much. Yeah. You, would still, still, some, you would, yeah. would still have it. Some open XR is not uh, mm-hmm. everywhere yet, but it is it is slowly coming. For example, now that Unreal 5 is out, they don't support anything else except open XR. They right. don't even let people do do any kind of other way of VR. So it's they, a better kind of trajectory yeah, to the future to for, start for, planning. Yeah, it's so that that I think would be the biggest difference difference with Pollen is that we would be able to plan the technologies that we are using and the uh, devices better. Like for like we have a couple of practical examples. One is that we we had several uh, performance issues in the game with the launch, and that was because we were planning it for totally lower resolution and slower refresh rate device. Mm. And then uh, there was this kind of one more leap before the consumer devices mm. came out with the fidelity and resolution, which was very good for the consumers. But when you've been designing a game for a certain certain frame budget, it's a, it's a little bit difficult to like go back and optimize everything. Mm-hmm. And the second point was hand controllers. Mm-hmm. Uh, hand controllers weren't planned for that game from the start because they weren't part of the uh, first consumer Oculus. Even the retail package didn't have right. controllers. They came half a year later. Yeah. But then Vive, HTC Vive and Valve came out of nowhere and they launched with the hand controllers. Yeah. So we had to scrape together a little bit buggy hand controller support uh, for the game because that, that was uh, suddenly an expectation from the players. As, and many of the game's code was, of course, not designed for hand controllers. So there's a lot of chunky interactions in the game. So that's not a place to look for modern VR interactions. <laughs> that's a, that sounds like a story of so many other development processes where you are tied to technology development and the platform changes. And it doesn't really show to the consumers what the developers went through before the publishing happened. So, yeah, I, f- I, I feel the pain, I guess. <laughs> yeah, of course, for the time, it was exciting and fun. And I don't think anyone is regretting the project. Yeah. And I think it's still a great game. Play it without VR or with VR yeah. uh, in, the, in the Steam. And it's been in the museum and all that kind of things. For the ones that didn't listen to the lecture, you can still go back and le- uh, listen to that. There is a demo of the of the pollen game that was right kind of around the corner to come out. But as a retrospective, how would you summarize what the game was about? Uh, it's basically two thousand and one Space Odyssey, the video game. So it's very very high concept sci-fi mystery game, which is more about uh, environmental storytelling and slow paced story and. Uh, if you ever play the game, I highly recommend going to our Steam discussion forums because there's been a lot of very nice discussions of people who have different kind of theories what happened and what's going in the game. Right. And that was our main goal was to prompt these uh, stories in your head based on the clues in the in the game. Sounds a little bit like Returnal <laughs> nowadays. Can you play uh, Pollen with uh, various headset? Uh, there was actually a bug in the game <laughs> that it was hard-coded to work with either Oculus or Vive and no other VR headset. Okay. Uh, but I, I made a little patch to my personal GitHub repo so you can you can grab it and then you can play it with uh, 
uh, our headset or any other other Steam VR compatible headset that is not Vive. Yeah, you should check it out. Definitely, it's it's a lovely game. I really really like that myself too. Um, as a last question for for this session is that how do you personally kind of keep up with the changes of the industry and follow the trends, or do you follow any trends? How do you where do you find the information of what's going to happen in the future? Uh, of course, in my daily work, I, I I am very connected to trends and companies that are doing a lot of things. But for tips for listeners where they could follow, uh, there is a lot of good like YouTubers, for example. We actually recently had a, a thrill seeker who is one of the biggest YouTubers visiting our Vario office, and he made a lovely lovely video of of our office. And I like his videos because he's making a lot of positive content. Right. So he is usually uh, not the one who is like bringing things down or making drama. He's, he's trying to keep things positive. And I think we need a little bit more positivity in our, our, our life from time Definitely. to time. So yeah. his, his enthusiastic smile when using our headset and, and when he's reviving other headsets or, or other, other games, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice listen. And he does this uh, weekly series where he goes through the what's happening in VR world. Ah, okay. So that's a perfect place to kind of follow what ha- what is happening in this field specifically. Uh, thank you, Samuli, for joining back and looking back with us, reflecting what has happened in eight years. This is a way too short slot to go through all of that, but I hope that we covered the most important things. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.